0: Welcome to the particular baptist podcast my name is daniel vincent here with my co-host sean Cheatham. Uh, you can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com also check out our blog at baptist.net. and if you're watching from our youtube channel and have not subscribed already hit the subscribe button and click on the bell to receive notifications when new videos come out um and today we're going to be talking in the context of worship um, this evening, we're doing it a little bit different time. We have some plans tomorrow. Uh, so we're moving things around a little bit, but um, hopefully we'll be able to stay awake long enough to be able to make it through. We're both kind of tired from the week, um, but we'll press on. But with that, I'll turn it over to Sean um, and he'll kind of introduce us into our topic and we'll dive right in.
1: Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about uh, exclusive psalmody and specifically why we don't hold to the position. Um, exclusive psalmody, uh, for those who are not aware, uh, is the position that uh, only the 150 psalms of the Old Testament should be sung in the church, in the congregation. Um, and this discussion really boils down to the regulative principle and how we apply it in, uh, in, in uh, the Christian life. Um, uh, the regulative principle is the uh, idea that only what God has commanded, and specifically in this era of, uh, of history, uh, only what he's commanded in his word, in the Bible. Um, only what he's commanded uh, should be uh, how we uh, worship. Uh, we aren't to innovate. We aren't to add things or subtract things. Um, we're to do only what he's commanded. And an example of this um, in the scriptures comes from Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 32. Uh, this is God speaking to the Israelites. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after them. Follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, "How did these nations serve their gods?" I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods for they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I care, whatever I command you be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. And this is uh, such a um, important idea that in Leviticus uh, one through three, we uh, get the story of um, uh, Aaron's sons who, uh, offered unauthorized fire, that is, they uh, worshiped in a way not prescribed by God, and they were they were killed for it. But God takes this very seriously, and we should take it very seriously. Um, worship currently in the visible church, especially in the realm of uh, what's being sung, is not, uh, not in a healthy spot right now, at least in America. So we do want to take um, our worship very seriously. But um, today we'll be uh, going through why we hold to a position um, that some might think is a wrong application of the uh, regular principle, but we think is uh, appropriate.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's a good way to start off because we want to note that uh, us and, and even those who disagree with us are coming really from the same uh, source. We want to worship God as he has commanded. We're not looking to worship God in a novel way in both of us, both sides, are not looking to worship God in novel ways, in ways that are not outside of his word. Both of us believe that, or both sides believe that we're worshiping God according to how he is commanded. And so I think that's important to realize. It's a good commitment. We just believe that those who disagree or on the opposing side are are applying the principle incorrectly. Um, But it's important to point out that we come from the same source it's a good place to start and that's where we should start is what has god commanded in his word as it relates to worship and then we flow from there and we can work out the particulars as we go along but that is a starting point unfortunately that principle the regulative principle has been largely left by the wayside in evangelicalism it's become you know what whatever works um very pragmatic forms of worship and ways of getting people into the church instead of just for worshiping and and teaching what the scriptures um what the scriptures prescribe um so that's that's very important to to recognize but i want to start off with talking about the confessional issue so uh, we're Reformed baptists we hold to the 1699 london baptist confession of faith um substantially and uh, our Presbyterian brother and hold to the Westminster. Now, there are differences between the two as it relates to this, um, and we're going to get into kind of a historical background on him singing in particular Baptist world, but looking at the two confessions, um, in our confession, the Second London Baptist Confession, and in paragraph five, um, it lists a little bit more than the Westminster does. The Westminster is very... Um, very straight into the point as it relates to this. So I'll read a little bit of of both. Uh, so from paragraph twenty two five in the second London it says the reading of the scriptures, preaching, the hearing the word and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And then in the Westminster in chapter twenty one paragraph five it says the reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preachings and Conscientible hearing of the word and obedience unto God with understanding, faith and reverence, singing of psalms, with grace in the heart. So you notice that the Westminster only mentions psalms, while our confession lays out psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Essentially, quoting from Colossians and Ephesians, and just inputting that into the into the uh, the confession. And it, but it's interesting because this is, this is a difference, right? And our confession is based off of the Westminster and the Savoy Declaration, which was John Owen's confession that he helped write. Um, but it's it's different in this way. Um, and we see this discussed uh, in the book Kiffin, Nollies, and Keech, Rediscovering Our English Baptist Heritage by Michael Hyken. Um, he talks about this difference, says, quote, In the Westminster Confession and the Savoy Declaration, singing is restricted to the singing of psalms but in the Second London Confession, hymns and spiritual songs are included alongside the Psalms as fit material for singing, end quote. And uh, Waldron, in his commentary on our confession, brings us out as well um, on page 329. Uh, He notes, this chapter follows very closely the Savoy Declaration's minor revisions of the Westminster Confession. The only change Of note from the Savoy is the addition of the phrase teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs in paragraph five. This alteration, which seems to have originated with the authors of the 1689 Confession, takes the place of the words of Psalms in the Westminster Confession and Savoy Decoration. It probably indicates a desire to distance themselves from the position of exclusive psalmody. So it seems that they were trying to, uh, I guess, broaden the horizons in terms of. singing and not limit limiting it to the psalms, but maybe being more inclusive in, in different positions um this seems to be what um, i think sam ranahan i mentioned in one of our shows when he was on one time but there are differences there are differences here um so there was maybe a push to be more inclusive and to not uh, focus so much on the psalms but even in light of this, there, there was still controversy even among the early particular Baptists, um, around, especially surrounding Benjamin Keach, as it relates to him singing. Um, this was really a dark time for the particular Baptists. There was a lot of uh, biting. There was a lot of bickering. There was a lot of um, fighting over really a tertiary issue. Um, and this was right after the 1689 had been adopted. Um, after the Act of Toleration had been passed, giving lo- a large freedom to those who were not in conformity to the Church of England, but even the unification of doctrine did not really um, solve a lot of issues. It it seemed to bring out um, some great divisions among the Baptists. But Benjamin McKeach, who was a pastor and one of the signers of the Confession, uh, began hymn singing in early in uh, English Baptist life. Um, as noted in the book we mentioned on, by Hagen, said, "Quote: His significance is well summed up in the words of Hugh Martin. Keach was quote the first to introduce the regular singing of hymns into the normal worship of an English congregation." End um, quotes. So Keach started introducing this concept of hymn singing into the church, and it did not meet um, well with uh, with some of his brethren. Robert Steed and William Kiffin, who were both signers of the confession, had issues with congregational singing, and this is discussed in Hyken's book as well. Um, and this seems kind of strange since the our confession, as we just read, really lays out what appears to be explicit congregational singing. There's a singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and it's written in the plural in terms of how it's supposed to be done. It's not a singular person that's supposed to be uh, doing these things. So it, it seems to point to congregational activity. But we see them pushing against this. Um, and and just as a side note, this and the fact that Keech uh, denied the covenant of works, despite the confession bringing it out explicitly, I think gives a good evidence for substantial um, uh, adherence to a confession and that you don't have to adhere to a confession 100% in order to be Professional or Reformed Baptist or or whatnot, but you know that's a discussion for a different day. But that I just kind of picked up on that as I was studying this. Um, but it seems that there were these pushbacks from these brothers, and there really became this um, this argument and this bickering over this uh, issue of congregational singing, um, all because Pastor Keach started singing hymns in his church, um, and the issue really was not and Hyken talks about this as well, but it was really not about uh, hymns versus psalms, right? Although that did that was discussed, it was really about congregational singing in general. Um, Hyken brings out in his book that one of the reasons that congregational singing was pushed against was because um, of things like uh, passages that talk about women not singing, not speaking in worship. So the congregation, which would have included women, would not have been able to sing, um, and this was counteracted by Keach. But that was there were different reasons for uh, them pushing back on these things. Um, but in the end, Keach did end up apologizing for his behavior because he did act in an ungodly way. Um, this is brought out in the book Faith and Life for Baptists: The Documents of the London Particular Baptist General Assembly, 1689 to 1694. Um, and even though Keech did apologize, he did not back down on his views, he continued um, to hold to his views. Um, but he did apologize for the way that he handled it. And that's in this background, I think is good because it, it gives an example of how when we have discussions like this and disagreements, how we're not to act. Um, they acted in a in really in an ungodly way. Ultimately, they were um, they were not kind in the way they dealt with these issues. Um, they got very passionate, especially Keech, very passionate on these things, and it ended up leading to unnecessary division and, and unkindness. So we, you know, Sean and I want to approach this issue with grace for the brothers. Um, there are good brothers who disagree on this issue, and we're not coming after them with the sword and, and looking to beat them up. We're, we love them in the Lord. We can still talk about these things in disagreement we can still discuss disagreements but we want to do so graciously um and know that they you know we're we're worshiping christ together and we and we want to come with that that spirit so i think it's a good object lesson in looking at how the Baptist, the early particular Baptists, handled this issue um on what can happen when secondary tertiary issues become elevated so much that it can lead to um, division, opposition, and and fleshly desires being laid out in the church, which should not be. Do right, you want to add anything, Sean?
1: No, you know, just to reaffirm uh, what you said there. We're uh, we're trying to be uh, kind and act in a Christian manner towards our brothers, and hopefully that uh, comes out.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. So that's a little bit of the excuse me, a little bit of the historical argument. Now we're going to look into the, the exegetical biblical arguments here. Um, so this concept of this exclusive psalm singing versus singing psalms, hymns, along or hymns, spiritual songs along with psalms, comes from two different passages, um, Colossians 3 and Hebrews 5. Um, we're going to look at Colossians 3, 15 and 17, and Ephesians 5, 17 and 21. So I'm going to read both of those, and then we'll talk about them. So we'll start with the Colossians passage. As And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now that's Colossians, uh, Ephesians 5. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So looking at the... Uh, so these are basically saying the same thing, right? They're, it's, he's prescribing forms of worship. Right. This is in the context of the local church. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus, and he's laying out how the body, the corporate body, is to act in worship, and singing is obviously an act of worship to God. So this is prescribing how we are to worship in a sense, at least in part. So that's important. So now the regulative principle is coming back into play, right? Regulatory principles coming into play. We have imperatives here. We do not have suggestions or guidelines. These are you imperatives and commands on what we are to do corporately. Um, so that's important to understand here. But starting in Colossians, um, Paul gives this interesting premise in verse 16 of Colossians 3 before he goes into talking about psalms uh, in, in these different forms of music. He says that, the let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So I think in order for us to understand what these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are, we need to understand what is the word of Christ. That's coming directly before psalms, hymns, spiritual songs are laid out. And those activities are flowing from letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's an outflow of it. It follows necessarily from having the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. So, if we understand what the word of Christ is, I think we can have a proper understanding um, of what those specific music categories are. Um, but the word of Christ, I think it's pretty clear. It's, it's the word of God, probably primarily found in the Old Testament when Paul wrote this, and uh, whatever um, would be necessarily contained in the scriptures. Um, but, it may be, and maybe, obviously, the New Testament as it had been written up until that point. Um, MacArthur talks about this in his Bible commentary he says quote this is Scripture the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture the word of Revelation he brought into the world um, dwell means to live in or be at home and richly may be more fully rendered abundantly or extravagantly rich Scripture should permeate every aspect of the believer's life and control every thought word Indeed, this concept is parallel to being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18, since the results of each are the same. So we have to understand this to be the Word of God, okay? Now, when we talk about the Scriptures, it's not just what is written down expressly, right? We talked about this in a previous episode when we reviewed Jeff's book, right? The difference between express uh, revelation, special revelation, and then what is necessarily uh, consequential from the express revelation or what is necessarily contained in. I I think our confession does a much better job of rendering what that is. Um, But that's from uh, paragraph 1-6 of our confession. Um, It says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. So the writers of our confessions see Scripture not only being what is expressly set down, what you see clearly laid out in the text of Scripture, but also what follows necessarily is Scripture too, Um, what is not expressly written down but flows necessarily from the express Scripture. So I think that's that's very important because that can help us to avoid falling into a form of Biblicism where we see, and what we mean by that is not um, that the, we, we're not denying sola scriptura or anything like that. We're saying that the scriptures are, uh, that. that's when those who say that uh, only what the Bible expressly teaches um, is what is to be followed, um, any barring any necessary consequence or even anything outside of scripture, like maybe commentaries or anything like that. Um, but I, I think if, if we... Say that this word of Christ is only what is expressly written down, which you know for the exclusive psalmists would be the Psalms, one hundred and fifty Psalms, right? Because that's what's expressly laid out uh, in the Psalter. Um, I think you you can find a form of biblicism there. But if we say that there is the necessary consequence of Scripture that can be that is part of Scripture, and those hymns and songs and are flowing from that then it doesn't limit it to just the Psalms, does it? If, if I sing the, Psalm, the song, um, Holy, 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 I say God in three persons, blessed Trinity, those aren't spelled out in the scriptures expressly. It doesn't say that. You can't find a verse that says that um, ex- as it's laid out in that hymn. Um, but these concepts are taught in the scriptures, right? The Trinity isn't in the scriptures. It doesn't say Trinity anywhere. There's no verse you can find that. But we gather that. By good and necessary consequence, we see that necessarily contained in it by virtue of the expressed passages. And because of that, we see it as scripture, right? So when I'm singing that hymn, I'm singing scripture in a sense, because I'm singing the truths that are contained in scripture, although it doesn't expressly say that. So I, when you understand scripture in this light, you don't limit it to simply what is expressly written in the scriptures. And that opens really, that opens the door up for um, for more than just the Psalms, which would be the expressly written word of God. Um, so I, I think we have to have a proper understanding of God's word. And then as we have a proper understanding of God's word, we let the word of that word dwell in us richly, and that will flow out in proper worship and in, in, in this case, in proper singing. now you want to add anything to that, Sean? Uh, no, I
1: think that's I think that's pretty good there.
0: Okay, do you want to get into the the Greek discussion of the underlying words? Yeah, yeah.
1: um so as a little bit of a background you'll you'll encounter um, people that hold the exclusive uh, solemnity position that essentially say that uh, the three um, the three uh, types of uh, songs mentioned here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, are a reference to the psalms. And uh, a specific argument is all three of these words are used uh, in the psalms in the Septuagint. Um, so it would be logical to conclude from that that Paul is making a reference to the Psalter using these three uh, words. The, the Greek words would be psalmos, um, hymnos, and ode, I believe. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so because of this, they make the, 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 the conclusion, okay, these three words appear in the Psalms. This is just Paul's way of referencing the Psalter, essentially. Um, there's a couple problems with that as far as I see. Um, first of all, um, you'll note that it's not merely, uh, Psalms, hymns, and songs. It says spiritual songs. And the uh, phrase spiritual songs, which is, I had it read out, uh, uh, odes uh, pneumaticos, spiritual songs, that phrase actually does not appear in the Septuagint. Uh, It's just uh, odes, or some form of that word. It's not odes pneumaticos. Uh, So... It would be odd that Paul would use, a, if he's trying to reference the Psalter there by using um, the three uh, three uh, words used in the Psalter, it'd be odd that he would be using a phrase actually not found uh, in the Psalter. That gives us an indication that what he's thinking of isn't necessarily that. Um, it's also, there's other words used um, to describe the uh, what's in the uh, psalter, for example, there's um, it's sometimes they're called prayers or sometimes they're called praises. Phrases, you'll see the phrase uh, inos odes, so that would be song of praise. Um, just like you see uh, uh, something to the effect of uh, psalmu um, odes or odes, psalmu like a, an ode of a psalm or a psalm ode, something to that effect, psalm song. Um, so it's not 100% clear that this would definitively, just seeing those three words there would definitively lead you to conclude, oh, this is referring to the Psalter. Um, It's a little bit of a a leap there in order to get that, which is ultimately what the exclusive psalmody position has to do in some sense. It has to say that these three words refer to the Psalter. And I don't think, at least uh, for that argument, it, uh, it accomplishes that.
0: Yeah, and then the the way that, or the words that Paul is using, too, are genetic categories of, of things like hymns. He, he doesn't specify um, what those hymns are, um, and you could argue, well, context determines the meaning of the word, um, but given what we've already discussed about what the word of Christ is in Colossians 3, I think you can find um, he's not limiting it to just the Psalms. So I think it flows very consistently to see this really as a category that he's talking about here um, of words and not just uh, not the Psalms exclusively, although certainly he would include that, um, but it's more this category of of praise. Um, and, and in some uh, lexicons, for instance, and in, I think it's uh, Strong's Concise, um, he imposes his own view of this. Uh, on there, and you see this idea of Psalms showing up in there, um, really, I think, taking interpretive liberties um, with regards to these words. But I think it's really referring to a, more of a category, and that you see this in different lexicons. Um, shorter Lexicon of the Greek New Testament by F.W. Uh, Gingrich, he, see, he seems to see it as more of a category. lexicon of the Greek New Testament from Logos seems to see that as well. Um, and I think that flows consistently with um, the context. All right. Um, and then another interesting point, too, um, and I found this as I was I was looking this up more online, I actually found this from from gotquestions.org. They they didn't, um, I don't think they used this interpretation, but they quoted Psalm 96, one, and it caught my attention, and so I dove into it a little bit more Um But the Psalms themselves, um, in talking about worship, don't limit themselves uh, to just the Psalms. They talk about, and I think it's in multiple places in the Psalms and also in Isaiah 42, uh, we see this concept of singing to the Lord a new song, right? Singing to the Lord a new song. It's not something that's currently, that's being sung or has been sung. It's new. It's something different than what has been sung before. Now that is very interesting, and I and I think kind of um, kind of ironic, given the the emphasis by the other side on uh, the singing of songs exclusively, when the songs the, the psalms themselves talk about singing something different than the psalms in the context of worshiping God. Um, and to really understand what this means, we'll we'll look at John Calvin um, John Calvin's commentary on the psalms, um, but let's read Psalm ninety six uh, one through three. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song." sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord bless his name proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations now it's interesting you see this broad aspect in terms of where this worship is this isn't just israel right this isn't just israel singing praise to god it's all the earth it's the nations the glo- it says, declare his glory among the nations. This is going out, right? So this is consistent with what we see in the New Testament with um, the Gentiles coming onto the scene and starting to worship God and coming into the fold. Um, and this seems to be what Calvin uh, holds to as well. Um, Calvin uh, Calvin said, sing unto Jehovah a new song. This commencement shows that, as I have already observed, the psalmist is exhorting the whole world and not the Israelites merely to the exercise of devotion, nor could this be done unless the gospel were universally diffused as the means of conveying the knowledge of God. And he goes on, Besides, the psalms require a new song, not one which was common and had formerly been raised. He must, therefore, refer to some unusual and extraordinary display of the divine goodness— Thus, when Isaiah speaks of the restoration of the church, which was wonderful and incredible, he says, sing unto the Lord a new song. So the the question I have for uh, my brothers who hold to exclusive psalmody, um, how can there just be psalms when psalms are referring to the future church? This is really prophetic. You know, the gospel is going to go out to the nations, and obviously that will bring people in and be saved. And there will be this uh, new song that will be sung. There will be this new, um, th- this new worship, so to speak. Um, it seems um, I don't see how that can be reconciled with the view of exclusive solemnity. Given this is in the context, this would be in the context of the New Testament church, obviously starting and and up and going until the end of, uh, till the end of the age when Christ comes back. Um, But this is the gospel going out to the world. This is the good news going out beyond Israel, Um, obviously ushered in with Christ, with his kingdom coming, and then the apostles taking it, and then the church being established and going on. Um, But I think that is uh, not consistent with that view of exclusive psalmody in any way. Anything you want to add, Sean?
1: Yeah, I did actually want to read um, Isaiah from Isaiah 42, sure. um, similar concept, but I think it, it very clearly is, is pushing the idea this is in a, a new covenant context. You'll, you'll hear things um, that you'll recognize are fulfilled in the New Testament. So Isaiah 42, starting at verse 5, uh, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it. Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it i the lord have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand i will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the gentiles to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison those who sit in darkness from the prison home i am the lord that is my name and my glory i will not give to another nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kadar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains them give glory to the lord and declare his praise from the coastlands so here um you see uh god um speaking to the messiah speaking to christ saying i will give you as a covenant to the people and that uh this is going to result in light going to the gentiles the blind having their eyes opened, those in prison being released um and then it goes forth into basically praise and uh, Reflecting the praise that's going to happen when when uh, the Messiah comes um, that we're going to uh, that people are going to sing a new song and this is going to happen in all these different regions. Um, praise is going to be given to the Lord God, um, but it is a new song. So um, it's not what we uh, what um, the people of God had before. This is something new.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very in In the context, this is not in the context of Israel. When Isaiah is talking about, it, especially verses ten through twelve, um, it's so he's telling those who are not in Israel, those who are in the coastlands, those in mm-hmm. Kedar, they are to praise the Lord and and lift up their voice and singing the Lord to the Lord a new song, it's praise to the end of the earth. So this is all of those who have been brought in by the gospel, pointing forward, obviously, um, are going to be singing to the Lord a new song, and maybe it could include proselytites that came in in Israel and believed in the promise. Oh, yeah. But uh, I think it would. But I th- it obviously would include the, the New Testament church as well. Um, so you could really put this in the context of the New Testament church in terms of worship. And this also what's interesting, too, is Isaiah phrases this as the imperative. He's calling them sing a new song. It, again, it's not a suggestion. It's like sing a new song. So there is, I think, a good regulative principle argumentation that could be used here um, to to not sing uh, songs exclusively because there is this concept of this new song that is being pushed out um, from Isaiah and from the Old Testament unto those who are not of Israel. So I I think that's uh, that's very important uh, to realize as we go through this. Um, You know, we can... As long as our hymns and our, our songs are that we might write, uh, you know, there are modern-day hymn writers, the the Gettys, you know, they're, they're Reformed uh, brother and sister who write uh, modern-day hymns for the church. But as long as they are consistent with Scripture, and this is what Keach taught as well, and uh, I think Haykin brings this out in his book, that as long as it's congruent with Scripture, whatever is written, then... Um, it can be sung, right? And we would say that those true, again, those truths and those concepts that are necessarily flowing from the express written word of God, um, at the very least, the concepts themselves are scripture. They're necessarily contained in the scriptures. Um, so it, it's important that we, when we take a hermeneutic, we, uh, you know, we're, and that's why we're exegeting these passages, right? We're not just um, giving you these verses. Well, Psalms is a real song. So the, the, the argument is over. No, we're walking through um, like Colossians. Here's the context. Here's what the word of Christ means. Here how Here's how this influences what comes after it. And then looking um, into the Psalms themselves and seeing how that applies to the New Testament church and the in the consistent um, revelation of scripture there. And, and it's having a proper hermeneutic and letting all of scripture speak um, in terms of, of how we look at these things. All in light of how the regulative principle um, is laid out in Scripture, so that's really where our our hermeneutic is coming from, and, and really the hermeneutic we should use when we're uh, looking at um, these issues. Do you want Sean, to move on? You have anything else to add to that? Yeah. Well, yep.
1: um, I have I have an, uh one last section to go through. I don't know if you were done with the exegetical no, section. Ahead. Okay. So, moving on, just a, a couple of logical problems that I have with uh the exclusive psalmody position um, uh one thing is we don't have the um the songs that the psalms were originally sung to, and you'll you'll read sometimes in the psalms and it'll it'll be letting you know what the, the at least the title of the song the tune that it was supposed to uh, be sung to it'll say something effective like. According to the the uh, song of the morning or the song of the dough, something something to that effect. Um, but we don't have what those tunes are anymore. And the choice of those tunes was an inspired choice by God. Um, so for the exclusive psalmody position, they're worried about singing only inspired songs, but not necessarily in the manner that's prescribed by God, because they'll they'll put it to to modern day tunes um and that that seems that strikes me as a little odd um and really, if God didn't give us the the tunes by which that he had originally prescribed, maybe that's an indication that you know we have a little bit of uh liberty in um how we're how we're to do this. obviously, we still want to do what's commanded, but this would be an indication if God hasn't given us the means to do x y z in um in his word, then uh, we can conclude that it's not necessary. We don't necessarily have to do that specifically. Um, modern psalters also frequently have to change word order um, in order to make the uh, uh, the psalm fit into uh, our language. Um, while the psalm might have made sense in Hebrew, being sung. We have to work it around and, and uh, change where a phrase is, maybe, or delete a phrase or add a phrase. Um, uh, the people creating the psalters aren't trying to necessarily change the meaning, but they are changing it to fit into something that could sounds good when sung. So at a certain point, um, what if you're doing that, what is the, the difference between doing that, where you're basically trying to rearrange the psalm and not change the meaning, And doing something like what we're doing, where we're trying to sing what the scripture says, although not necessarily in the exact words of the scripture. It starts to get a little little blurry there about what actually the line is. Um, And then finally, going back to the idea that um, because these three words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, occur in the Septuagint, and that's supposed to give, uh, in the Psalter, in the Septuagint, and that's supposed to give us uh, the idea that Paul's referencing the Psalter there. Um, That requires knowledge of a foreign language translation of the Bible, and that strikes me, again, as a little bit odd or or concerning, that we would need to have knowledge of, that anybody reading that section of Paul would have to have knowledge of a foreign language translation of the Bible in order to understand the text that he's reading in front of him. Um, That would seem to me to attack the uh, perspicuity of the scripture um, that I need to, it's not nearly enough to have a translation in my language or to have the original, I have to have even another translation and knowledge of that in order to understand what's going on. It's not plain from the reading of the original Hebrew. And that that strikes me as a, a little bit odd there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that yeah that could cause some issues. It's it and like you said, it's um, it's really creating inconsistencies on the regulative principle itself, right? If God has prescribed that you're to, if you think that the Psalms are the only uh, things were to be singing in worship in corporate worship, yet you're holding that we don't, re- you know, we can't really use the tunes of the songs. Um, it's almost like you're picking and choosing what you want to um, utilize in worship, although mm-hmm. it's it's clearly prescribed. You know, it'll say, you know, put it to the tune of this, put it to the tune of mm-hmm. that, um, and I, I think you have you have inconsistencies there. And at the end of the day, when they start putting them to modern hymns, at least to the tunes, and then the word changes how have you not created a modern hymn at that point? Cause it's not really the same thing that you're finding in the original language or in, in a translation itself. So it, it you're, you're ending up falling closer to what we would believe than I think you, than I think they might realize. So I, I think it, it creates some, it creates some issues yeah. uh, from that perspective.
1: I will say, I love listening uh, to the Psalms and one time I, can't remember. It might've been Psalm 53. Uh, I would have to check again, but I was, I was listening, um, to, um, the, the Psalm. I was like, Oh, that's, that's, I really like the, what's going on here. Let me actually look up the Psalm in my Bible. And I looked it up. And at first I was, I was confused. I'm like, what's, what's going on here. This doesn't look the same at all. <laughs> and I, like, you can see like some of the elements, like, okay, I, I see that part of that part, but there had been uh, and this was from the Geneva Psalter. Um, there was just elements that were, yeah, that's, that's sort of similar, but like things had been rearranged or whatever. And it was to, to make it sound nice and it did, but ultimately that's not how God laid it out in that order with those phrases. I w I would I wouldn't have a problem with that necessarily, but to some, yeah. And goals, from our
0: perspective, we don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Cause we're not seeing, yeah. Cause we're not seeing, um, a full, you know, in terms of the regulative principle, we're not seeing a limitation to that. Um, but it seems that the other side would. Um, and I think, yeah, and I think that's where it gets problematic. But yeah, or, some of those do actually sound really nice when you put, uh, yes. when you put modern hymn or, or even some of the older classic hymns, uh, you put some of those tunes to us uh, in these psalters, they sound really nice, they work really yeah. well.
1: Yeah. And these are song inspired songs by God. I have no issue encouraging anyone to to sing them, uh, if for right. the only reason that it, it gets those concepts in your mind, um, as well as this is something that God obviously is pleasing to God to sing because he he put it in the Bible uh, to be sung. So. Uh, I have no. I don't want to ever discourage anybody from singing the psalms. And honestly, in the contemporary culture that we live in, in the contemporary Christian uh, quote unquote quote, uh, culture that we live in, um, I would I would actually encourage people to to sing the psalms. I think it's a good idea. But uh, to have it as an ex- exclusive psalmody position, I would I would not.
0: Yes. Yep. And that's really what we're what we're addressing today. But. Yeah, and, and I think that really um, kind of summarizes what where we're getting at here. Um, we do not see, and again, to kind of summarize, we we've talked about a lot this evening. You know, we we do not see the Psalms as the only form of singing that we can hold to. We see the Word of Christ as including more than just um, what is expressly laid down, and that opens up the door more. We we even see the Psalms themselves opening up for a new song. And even uh, I failed to mention this, but even in revelation and what is to come in the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be a new song that's going to be sung. Right. So even then you see, you're seeing kind of like these, there's like three iterations. You have the Psalms and then you have the new song for those who are believers in the church. And then you have what is to come a new song sung there as well. Um, so it certainly doesn't seem this is, this is um, the, the Psalms or all that we have to worship God with. Um, and, and God is pleased with, uh, with worship. When we worship Him in spirit and in truth, as John 4 has said, and we're coming to Him um, with hearts that are ready to worship Him, uh, we can sing uh, whatever is consistent with the scriptures and consistent with the regulative principle. Um, and, and we can we can bring forth our praises to God. And Paul says that we're to, as he said in Ephesians, we're to make melody in our hearts to God. We're to worship. We can enjoy worshiping Him, and we should. We're praising our God. We're thanking Him for what He has done, and and outpouring. It's a form of, um, you know, what we call doxology. We we have our theology which we listen to and we let sink in, and then we. Live out that theology we in praise in how we live in obedience to God, but also in our worship, praising our God for what He has done. Um, and so let us do that. If we write hymns that are considered I mean, Benjamin Keach had a hymn book that he wrote. He wrote uh, multiple hymns and maybe multiple hymn books, but he did write more than one hymn. Martin Luther write, wrote "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." You know, we see. Uh, men of the faith, uh, really pouring their heart, hearts out uh, to God in worship, in penning hymns throughout, um, throughout the ages in the church. So, um, you know, let us, let us praise our Lord with what uh, He has given us uh, that is consistent with the Scriptures. And, and as we go into the Lord's Day in a couple of days, um, let's praise the Lord with all of our hearts. Let's sing and make melody in our hearts to our Lord know, it's, I think it might be easy to get wrote, you know, it's like, okay, we're, we're singing to him. We have the hymn numbers in the bulletin and we just sing them. No, we are singing to a God that is real, a God that is, is near and that loves us. And we should praise him, um, with all that we have. But I, I think that concludes our discussion this evening. Hopefully it was helpful. Um, it, it's not necessarily an easy topic to discuss, certainly one that's controversial. Um, but, Hopefully it's been helpful and at least for those maybe who are learning can help to kind of um, whet your appetite for studying this topic more, Um, and especially talking about the regulative principle, because again, this is what this ultimately ties back to, as we worship in accordance with what God has prescribed in his word, and we do not go outside of that. Um, But with that, thank you for joining us. Lord willing, we will be back next week. Um, And with that, take care.
1: God bless you all.